0: welcome in to revealing grace this is a podcast focused on the revelation of god's redeeming grace throughout all of scripture and the power that it has to transform lives eternally i'm chris sobek and as always we are joined by brian chapel now in this episode we will also be joined by dr murray lee who is pastor of cahaba park church in birmingham alabama dr lee planted the church in 2008 after serving as an associate pastor in a more established church in birmingham He also now serves as chairman of Mission to North America, the church planting arm of the Presbyterian Church in America. During his time of pastoring, he's also completed a PhD in organizational communication and leadership and is helping the denomination study how to support and engage its larger mission in light of the challenges of COVID recovery, political polarization in the church and the increasing secularization of our culture. Now all, all that might make Murray great. sound yeah. <laughs> I'm doing all that. <laughs> now that 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 might make Murray sound like an academic but he's he's far more than that. He is an in the trenches pastor who's preaching weekly, providing counseling, training leaders, raising a family and interviewing other pastors about how they are surviving a coronavirus world. That includes debates about masks, less dependable financial and personal support, members staying away from services, and leadership facing criticism from congregates who are demanding more attention while they themselves might be streaming services at home. So there's a lot to discuss. Uh, Murray, thank you for joining us. Yeah,
1: I'm glad to be here.
0: And Brian, of course, always good to see you.
2: Good to see you, Chris and Murray.
0: You know, I'm thankful that we're able to do this. uh, where we can all see each other even though we're not in close proximity. And, and that kind of leads me to my revealing question of this episode of the podcast. Uh, now, Murray, first off, have you uh, spent all your life in Alabama or have you lived in other areas of the country?
1: Uh, born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama, and three and a half years in St. Louis, Missouri uh, for seminary.
0: Okay, well, that, that makes sense. seminary now, was that, Murray? Co-
1: Covenant <laughs> Theological Seminary... The official seminary of the Presbyterian Church in America.
0: I hear good things about that seminary. Yeah, me too. (laughs) So that's not my question, though. My question is knowing that, and and Brian, knowing you've lived in a few different places, um, currently residing in Atlanta. um, As I look out my window, there is snow on the ground, and we are uh, expecting to actually get a snowstorm in the coming days. Living in the South where you don't quite experience uh, the seasons the way we do here, do you ever wish that you got to experience um, more like the winter seasons? And if so, the answer may be no, but if so, what would you want to do if you had snow uh, during winter like we do here? Well, that's for me. That's a good question. That's Yeah. (laughs) And and, I mean, Brian, too, you can answer because you don't you don't live here in the Midwest anymore. So I'll uh, simply
2: say I love snow for two days. A winter, <laughs> that's right. just enough to to sled or ski for two days, and then I'm done.
1: Yeah, you mentioned the word snow in Birmingham, Alabama, and the grocery store empties of bread and milk, which I've always wondered why those two items. Um, why not pizza or steaks or you know something fun like that? No, I. Well, I would rather live in the hot and visit the cold than live in the cold and visit the hot. So we're, we're delighted to have, uh, 10 months of, uh, of good weather and two months of wear your jacket.
0: I, I can understand and appreciate that. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, in a, in a day or two, when we have a lot more snow, I will be wishing that I was in a warmer area. So to get into things, um, you know, I, there's there's a lot that we could talk about, but let's start uh, by discussing some of the challenges that that the church is facing. And Murray, maybe specifically you could speak to uh, challenges your church is facing in this present era. I think the,
1: the real challenge is how do we remind people that the gospel is about sacrifice and suffering rather than control and comfort? Um, if you think about... Um, if you think about everything covid so from shutdown to masks to canceled worship to pre-recorded worship now in person live stream stimulus checks vaccinations no vaccinations it all really has a real me focus or it can have a real me focus in application so for instance people are saying you know how do i spend my time you know if 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 this if this thing is a real thing and that it's it's killing real people and it is then uh, what does that mean for how I'm going to spend my time? And sometimes the answer to those questions are a devaluing of corporate worship and a, a a heightening of the things that I want to do be it family vacations or second homes or, or just choosing, frankly, just to stay at home, uh, stream or not stream. And so it's trying to help remind people that the gospel is about sacrifice and suffering rather than control and comfort.
0: Brian, I know you you've been traveling a bit and and preaching at different, uh, at different churches and seeing different congregations. Are there certain challenges that you've seen as you've been traveling around?
2: Yeah, Chris, you and Murray both know that uh, when COVID began, I I was with you, uh, Chris, uh, as pastoring grace church uh, there in Peoria. And um, now I'm responsible for about 2,000 churches to some extent. And that's a little bit of a different setting. Um, But here's what we know kind of in broad scope. About uh, about 20% of people have not returned and don't anticipate returning. So that means some churches are almost back at full and other churches are at half or less. And a lot depends on age, part of the country, politics of the congregation, you know, lots of things that you can't. But you'd say we're about 20% down. Uh, overall, and don't and no one knows how that will how that will change. Uh, some some churches believe that streaming will just be a, as a constant way that the church will be served and serve its people. Um, uh, others, believe it or not, some churches have closed entirely and gone exclusively to streaming. That they've just said we we can't at this time afford the building or the rented facility anymore, so we're all streaming. That's happened to a few. But, but most are trying to become hybrid some way and struggling with Mur- what Murray said. I mean, part of the witness of the church is people of different ethnicities and animosities and ages and preferences being together. So that Ephesians 3 happens, right? So the manifold wisdom of God is on display in the heavenly places. That is, angels and demons even look at the church and say, My, what a God. If he get those people together, this gospel must really be something. And the church doesn't have that witness. If, as Murray said, everybody just kind of does their own way and seeks their own comfort. So, how do how do we say part of your witness is still honoring the book of Hebrews? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And can it be done virtually? Of course. Now, I have to speak out of both sides of my mouth. I, I have grandchildren who are immune, um, vulnerable, compromised. And so um, three of my uh, four sets of children have not been back to church because their, their children are at risk. And um, but, but they don't want I have to say they don't want it that way. <laughs> you know, they, they, they wish they could be together. And I think that longing is probably a sign of long term health. Even though there's some short-term precautions that have to be made, so um, we we really recognize in our family that there are people at risk uh, through COVID, serious risk, and it's not it's not just a political discussion that we're having. That's right.
0: You know, as as the pandemic began, you know, I, I remember at least speaking for myself. I thought, well, you know, this will be a few weeks. You know, and we'll, we'll get through it and, and there'll be some challenges, but then we'll start gathering again and it has continued to go on and we hope that that uh, things will continue to get a little more back to normal. But as the pandemic started. You know, there were probably specific things that, that maybe you addressed in your sermons. Um, I don't know what, Murray, what you might have found most important to preach on as it began and kind of juxtapose that with, you know, as we continue to to face the repercussions, Yeah, you know, how have things kind of shifted for you?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the verses that really resonated with me, our staff and our people early on was this sense of what. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4, 2, to bear with one another in love. So um, just as Brian says, we're dealing with something that's very real and it's not just a political discussion. Um, And and people have uh, a a variety of opinions about, about everything associated with, with COVID. And so what we said is that we have to bear with one another in love Um, as we've moved into a, into a state of sensing that the things that we're dealing with are, are here and uh, they're here to stay. And so now, you know, what does that mean for us in terms of study? One of the things that we have done since I think the fall of this past year is we've studied the book of Romans and it's been intentional. I have put off studying the book of Romans for 15 years of preaching and part of the reason for that is because of the challenge associated with it. But but the reason that we decided to do it now is because a theologically rich and deep book, like the book of Romans, really causes you, if you're involved in the study of it, to begin to get your eyes off of yourself. I, I said it has a has had a little bit of a me focus. And so Digging into something deep that requires a lot of thought, a lot of prayer, a lot of um, study on your own, perhaps, uh, really, really begins to lift people's eyes off themselves.
2: Chris, I think uh, when I was
1: um, preaching through
2: COVID uh, times at Grace, uh, two things. One, I love the summer times during COVID because I was preaching in the parking lot on a hay wagon. Uh, Families would come and they, you know, they'd pitch a tent beside their car and and it was like having a festival every Sunday. I loved it. And if I really made a good point in the sermon, I get horns honking, you know, and it was, it was, I mean, but, but the fun wore off <laughs> and it did, but that was, that was a very special thing. One of the curious things was I was preaching through uh, Hebrews and then revelation at the time. And what Murray just said struck me, get their eyes off themselves. It was so good to be able to preach in Hebrews, people who have been through suffering and are being addressed now for their future hope and their need to encourage one another and not give up on the faith that was so appropriate for COVID. And then through revelation, you know, this is, this is not the final chapter and really have people lift their eyes from the immediate to the long-term and the great promises was, I I think more meaningful to me than it ever has been. So, um, whether it was meaningful to other people, Chris, you would have to tell me, but to me, (laughs) Uh, that, those were very special times. Now, I, I, I know everything gets old and COVID has certainly gotten older, um, but to, to have people think beyond themselves, as tough as it is, it's really what's going to give them hope too, right? They, they're, to minister beyond themselves.
0: You know, I, I know we've certainly faced some, some different challenges in the last few years than, I mean, I don't know if any of us have ever experienced anything quite like this, uh, but it it is, it has made me have a different perspective too. And for me, starting off the COVID uh, era, if you will, with having young children, uh, my youngest being born shortly before COVID hit, I mean, he's, he's two now and he's never known anything different. And so it's been, it's been interesting, almost reintroducing them to the church, like as an actual building where you go to, um, as, as things have opened up and the joy that they have in being able to, to interact with other people face-to-face because there was so little of that early on. So I know that's given me just a, a greater appreciation for the church body gathering and seeing that through fresh eyes, you know, cause it's something that I think we all kind of can take for granted and maybe have taken for granted. And that is something that I think has been positive. That's come from this is like having a, a fresh view of um of the church body and being able to gather. can i
2: can I add Chris, because of the way you just said that it reminded me. I, I think I'm as a pastor, I'm in the habit of thinking these people should look at this with fresh eyes. These people should have a new perspective. and i I don't often think this should be changing me too. And uh, Chris, I can't remember if I've told this in your presence before, but, you know, despite some of the pleasant memories of early Covid, I can remember when uh, there was a man who was particularly taking me to task on Facebook, you know, for not handling things the way he thought they should be handled. And he got, you know, really said some pretty nasty things. And uh, so I actually called him into my office and I said, kind of like, what gives, you know, and and his first statement was, I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> and I said, well, now, wait a second. Let's let's look at your statement here on Facebook and compare to everybody else around. And you know, he was much harsher and and instead of, you know, defending it, he began to cry. And uh he said you don't understand. He said this is my family. And if I can't be with my family in this church, then I'm not sure I will survive this. And I thought of this man, what I did know, his troubled marriage, his difficult job, his awkwardness in life. And I thought, I I have not read how difficult this is for the people. I thought how difficult it is for me and how they should be caring. And I I, I had not gotten the perspective of thinking, Lord, I need to repent. I've been trying to get everybody to shape up and I haven't really felt where their suffering is. And more concerned about my suffering than theirs, even though I preach the opposite. So it was a moment for me to kind of reflect with a fresh perspective. I, I need not to be just seeing this through my own lens, but what are people really suffering through?
0: That's a great reminder, Brian. Um, Murray, how has your preaching had to adjust some, knowing that to an extent I would assume you're almost preaching to two different audiences, those that are physically present and those that are streaming. So have you had to reshape the way that um, you present your sermon or the topics that you discuss, uh, knowing that there are almost two audiences?
1: Well, uh, I'd love to, I'd love to tie Brian's uh, previous comments into the, into the answer here. Um, One of the things that that I've had to come face to face with, uh, is suffering, you know, you know, our congregation suffering, our city suffering, uh, my own. Uh, and so what we did in January of 2021, uh, we did a five week series on Job and, and God's sovereignty and suffering. And that was, of all the 15 years i've I've uh, been preaching at Cobble Park, that has been the most uh, I don't know that well received is the right is the right, but the most it, it has seemed to have the most impact and I think I think part of the reason is um, it addresses a real problem right now. And so to answer your question, I think talking about suffering, Because the Bible has an awful lot to say about suffering. So talking about suffering uh, and not minimizing it in any way and not giving pat answers to explain it away, but to say, no, suffering is real and it's hard and, um, and there are no easy answers. And yet, at the same time, suffering is one of the most powerful tools that God uses to make us love him for him and not the things that he gives us. And so and so as I'm as I'm saying these things to the congregation that's gathered before me, also knowing that I'm also speaking into a camera where others and, and not just our congregation that are streaming, but others from other places that are writing in almost weekly saying talking about their experience with suffering, it, it's been an adjustment that I've that I had not prepared for, but, uh, but you have to keep in mind how, how do people, how do people respond um, and how do I apply this text uh, to people that I know and people that I don't know, you know, for 15 years, I, you know, that's a a long enough time to be able to get to know the people that are right in front of you. And so as you preach, you can, you know how it is, you can kind of look around and say, you know, I know how this might hit you or you or you without naming names, just in your mind, as you're preaching, you can, you can guess how this might sit. With somebody in your congregation, but with those that you don't know, it requires a uh, not just situational specificity of application. To go back to seminary terms, I've heard those, but things. a yeah, but a but a zooming out of application uh, and a broadening of application that uh, that you might not normally do, and so it's been an exercise uh, for me for sure, but. But addressing the things that, that are right there in front of us and, and doing so not just with situational specificity, again, great term, but also with a broadening uh as well.
2: I don't think I can add to that, Chris. I mean, it just it's just it's just right. And it it spells out the difficulty that every pastor is facing of how you speak across that spectrum and I, you know. I mean, it is really um what shall i say you're you're banking on the commonality of humanity with those that are streaming and also new people in front of you that you don't know and you're also banking on the specific awareness you have of struggle with the people that you love mm-hmm. and you're you're trying to do both and trusting the holy spirit works beyond you
1: and at the same time trying to encourage people uh, trying to highlight for people the value of a local church membership so I know that there are people that are listening to our sermons as well as uh, other churches all over the country and, and world that, that think, oh, well, that's my church because I listen to so-and-so online. Well, it makes it very challenging to shepherd someone uh, that you never see. And so we talk often about the value of, of community, the value of, of local commitment and membership. And so in a hope to shepherd those who might not yet have thought of those things.
0: It kind of takes me to my next question. So you talked about shepherding or, or pastoring people who maybe aren't physically there. How, how might you even try to go about doing that? Are there things that you've sought to implement or the church has sought to implement to help shepherd those who forever, whatever reason, whether by necessity or by choice, aren't gathering physically. It's
1: one that I'm learning. And I, I, You know, I can give you things that we've done, but I'm not sure they're great. Um, uh, Lots of email. (laughs) Uh, uh, Even lots of telephone calls as well. Lots of encouraging uh, people to get in touch with, with local pastors. So we try to place a high priority on the value of membership in a local place, wherever you are. And it's not something that, you know, you try to berate people over, but you just say, you know, if,
0: um,
1: if you're struggling with whatever it is, then you need to have somebody that's, that is close to you to pray for you and to care for you and to come alongside and to meet, meet with you. Um, So I think that I, you know, candidly, I think that I'm fumbling my way through, through, uh, trying to find the best way to shepherd people that that are not there in our that are not in our congregation. Now, for those that are in our in our congregation, that whether by necessity, you know, immunocompromised or by choice, it takes I think it what it does, it, it places a a high emphasis on the shepherding model and system that we have within our church to be doing its job effectively. So every member, well, ideally every member in our church should have a a male and female under shepherd, guy for guy, gal for gal. And so, uh, those folks that whether by necessity or choice are not coming to worship, uh, we want to make sure their under shepherds are reaching out to them regularly or praying for them or passing along uh, prayer requests, um, and and that we're making decisions as a as a church leadership that reflect um, the difficulties that they face too.
2: Chris, you know, we started out um, with there being a, a midweek uh, devotion that the pastors rotated through at Grace, and I, actually, I think I started out doing it every week, and then that got to be the extra burden of wow, this. There's a whole other message every week, even though it's a short devotional, it's it's more. So we started rotating through the pastors, then uh, wrote a devotion for every day of the year. And uh, then then we rotated that out where pastors began to do it. And then we said, well, let's let the people do this. And so elders got in and then uh, some more mature people in the car, And then it began to be shared in the congregation. Now, all that, I, I love Murray saying we kind of fumbled our way through we kind of exhausted our way through. You'd get to the point of exhaustion and say, I can't do this anymore. I need help. But it's also true that probably everything we did ran its course. And that was kind of hard, you know, it worked for a while. It was a helpful, and we had to think of something else. And it it takes you back to, we can provide alternatives for a while, but ultimately when the Lord knows it's time, we need to be back seeing and encouraging Ooh. one another because that doesn't grow old. You know, our lives change and we need each other rather than just kind of being spoon-fed something where I sit from somebody who's distant from you. Um, that that works for a while, but it, it ran its course. Everything we did ran its course. That was not regular worship.
0: Yeah, uh, You know, you mentioned that and Murray mentioned what he did as far as kind of humbling through things. I mean, it's... I'm sure very challenging for pastors really around the world, but across the country as they're kind of trying to maneuver all this and figure out the best way to approach things. With that being said, you're facing challenges yourself. Um, So what are some ways that you've been able to care for your own heart? Uh, Either one of you can jump in on this. Um, And what has maybe been one of those greatest struggles for your heart during this time?
2: I want to defer to Murray because Murray is, is part of his PhD instincts to find out where other people are struggling and, and then he's gone right in there. So, in part by being vulnerable himself, it's one of the reasons I want to ask him to do this. So, Murray, door wide open. You you've found people struggling in ways, and part of the way you helped is just by saying what 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 you struggled with.
1: Uh, t- uh two weeks ago, we had a, a group of church planners that are five to seven years into their into their work um, come to our church and for the better part of a week and, and a time of refreshment and rejuvenation and some prayer and reflection. And then just last week I was with a a dozen or so local pastors all from different denominations for prayer and uh, mutual encouragement. And the number one, the number one, Thing that everybody said was, boy, it's lonely. I'm lonely, and and you know, our, our church, um, our church is certainly not immune to the statistics, Brian, that you mentioned earlier. Uh, if the average church will lose twenty percent of the uh, of the membership, you know, our church is not immune to that. Um, it it would it is what I've said to myself. And I have to keep saying this to myself, and what I've said to others is that it is really tempting to skip to the good part and say, yeah, but we've got new people coming, and, um, and look at these exciting things. And there are new people coming, and there are exciting things. But, but in God's providence, He also allowed us to experience loss with people. Um, And not just numbers, but friends, Uh, people that you that you pour your life into. You you know, some people say, well, you know, it's not personal. Well, you'd be a bad pastor if it wasn't personal. And so it is personal. And so you bear that uh, and you carry that weight around. Uh, And so I think I think acknowledging the loneliness and the challenge and the hard without skipping to the good part and say, uh, in God's sovereignty, He allowed this to happen, and um, and it's tough to stand up week after week as a wounded preacher to open God's word and say these are the truths that God's word says, and to look people in the eye and to love them or to try to love to try to love them even as you sort of deal with the own difficulty in yourself, and yet even as I say those words, the, the difficulty of standing up each week as a wounded preacher, isn't that the isn't that the calling in its very essence? To stand up as one who is weak and say, uh, in my weakness, Christ is strong. And so I think giving people, including yourself, the space to acknowledge the reality of that and the difficulty and the struggle of that um is really good, and there you know there there are lots of um, academic theories and explanations as to why it's hard, and we can talk about those if if we want to. but the reality is um giving people the the platform and the freedom to say, "I'm lonely, I wonder about you or you too?" it really um it's really freeing.
0: Where do you find yourself sharing those sorts of things from the pulpit in sermons or are you having opportunities more one-on-one pouring into people or maybe a little bit of both?
1: Well, there's certainly a level of, of disclosure and vulnerability that's appropriate from the pulpit. I think that, um, I think that some of the struggle that you share, you know, I can remember, uh, uh, recently, as we were just celebrating God's faithfulness over the past year, saying, um, in the midst of god's faithfulness, we've we've lost some of our our friends, and that's painful. And it's okay to say that that's painful. It's painful personally to me, and i know that it's also painful personally to many of you. and so um and so you know acknowledging that and acknowledging that it's normal, you know, uh, that anytime there's change that's experienced within a church within an institution within an organization anytime there's organizational change there's I, and there's individual change there's a question of well if that's changing who does it what does it mean that for me you know who does it say that I, who, what does that mean that i am now and so there's a level of vulnerability certainly uh, uh from the pulpit that's appropriate but there's also a level that you, that you really can't get to that is far better suited for uh, for one-on-ones or being candid with your officers. Uh, you know in my setting that would be uh, you know elders and deacons but um, but might differ in other settings
2: One of our um, friends and colleagues Zach Eswine, used to call it very uh, redemptive vulnerability. Right? He would say it's it's not just being vulnerable. You know, I'm hurting so much. I'm an awful person. <laughs> I just had a fight with my wife, you know. Well, that doesn't help me a lot, Pastor. If that's all all I get is vulnerable. He said it's redemptive, which is I struggle, but here's how Christ is helping. I'm not through the struggle, but here's here's how I'm being strengthened. You know, here's how I'm getting to the next day uh, with Christ's help. And people people find that more helpful than pure vulnerability or uh, pure hiding. <laughs> mm. You know, I'm not going to tell you, but if you say, here's what I'm with but here's how Christ is helping that there, you help them find their own way down the path. And, but that does require your saying, I, I do know the hurt. I do know the pain. And it, it's a time in which if the pastor can't share pain, can't even identify it, I don't think you can be heard. You know, the, the old line of Fred beekner you know, the the preacher shouldn't be the only one on the ship of life who doesn't recognize the waves are 12 feet high, uh, mm. is, is all the more true today, right? The, the preacher shouldn't be the only one who doesn't recognize it. It, it really, you know, Murray, you mentioned loneliness. You know, that that results in different things that are make us even more vulnerable so for so long burnout was described just in terms of fatigue overwork and then some of those good pastoral studies said you know that's that's not all there is to it i mean pastors you know are there lazy pastors of course but most pastors have quite a bit of energy and zeal for what they do or they wouldn't be doing it but if you take fatigue and you add anger that is really debilitating very fast. How do you get back up in the pulpit this week, or minister to that family that just got after you on Facebook, or or whatever it is? And and Mary, I don't know how to how to say it. I when you go week after week and there's twenty percent or thirty percent less people, and people are telling you what a great sermon you had because they were in their pajamas with a cup of coffee and they didn't have to be there. And you're kind of thinking, you know, I'm in this by myself, it feels like. And by the way, my wife is hurting because she can't see her friends or our children are at risk. That you put anger with loneliness and fatigue. And that is a very dangerous mix. And and of course, we are seeing lots of pastors who are at least thinking about leaving the ministry and maybe not sure. So... Mary, I'm going to say something. It may just be me, but I'm guessing it's lots of pastors. It happens in stages. So for a while in COVID, I go to a church and half the people aren't there. And I think, you know what? The deacons aren't going to be mad at me because attendance isn't up because they know I've got no control over that. So it's less pressure, right? They're not counting noses and dollars this week. They'll count dollars, but they can't count noses because that's not fair. So you feel relief for a while. And then those people stay away and you're not sure you'll ever see them. And then you don't feel the ease of pressure. You feel abandonment. And, and that's loneliness and despair and anger. And, and as I said, that's a dangerous mix. So Murray, is it just me that feels that other people feel they count they count noses the way I do first relief of pressure? And then, oh, no, oh, no, this may be terrible long term. And suddenly feel more pressure? Does that happen?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that <clears throat> I think the combination of, of uh, working hard, um, I call decision fatigue, right? Certainly something that we would all say that we reached in COVID, especially those in leadership, making constant decisions about, you know, in person, not in person, mask, no mask, you know, what, whatever the whatever the case may be decision fatigue, coupled with with anger, bitterness, uh, disappointment, um, it, it really makes for a, a very real cocktail of uh, of difficulty, and it makes you start to ask yourself, "What am I? What am I doing? I don't, I don't have to do this. Look at all these people that 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 get to choose. I, you know, I, I wonder." I wonder if it'd be better if I, you know, whatever, and you fill it in. Um, but I, I want to I be real uh, also careful to say that God, in the midst of the difficulty, has also been incredibly, incredibly gracious uh, and shown us, myself and my wife, tremendous love for the people that are for the people that are there. And for the people that have left that we love. And so I would say to those that are that are hurting and to those that, um, that stand up week after week and there's disappointment and there's frustration, uh, I, I know how you feel. Christmas Eve two years ago was one of the worst feelings of my life. It's usually packed. The second service had 15 people and five of them were my family. And, you know, usually, you know, you can't, you can't find a seat. It's standing room only now. And so, but you got to stand up and you got to preach, even though your kids are answering all your rhetorical questions anyways. (laughs) But I would just simply say, um, the Lord is near and he meets his people uh, and he gives grace, uh, you know, for today. It's the whole, give us our this day our daily bread. He gives us grace for today, not our imagination. And so as he's called you to walk in today, find his faithfulness and his graciousness and his mercy enough. And it is enough. And uh, and as you do that, you'll find joy even in the midst of difficulty too. Uh,
2: Moran, I know we're supposed to say these things, and this is part of redemptive vulnerability, but... Goodness, if preachers can't say it, who can? I mean, you have to say my identity is not in the numbers. Mm -hmm. My identity is not in the approval. My identity is not in comparison to what my peers have or don't have. I mean, you know, I think of the churches, some in our own denomination, that have rapidly grown because they refused to follow government mandates about anything. And so people who didn't like the government mandates flooded to those churches. Mm -hmm. Putting my children would have been at risk had that happen. But, you know, they they attracted a certain crowd. So I think, man, you know, if only we could, and my identity is not in comparisons. My identity is in Christ. I am his child. He has covered me with eternal blessing and his love. And my righteousness is in Christ and, and not in people's approval. And I have to say those things, even though I know they can just become cliches, but I have to say them because I have to believe them. Or, or else it becomes a very dark place uh, that, that I could easily go to. When when we left Grace, where, where Chris is there now, you know, we really grieved. And one of the strange things both of you probably can experience because you're leaders in the church, but we suddenly went from leadership in a, in a large church to a large church being nobodies. And so... We go into a church service. Everybody's wearing masks. We're wearing masks. You sit six feet apart in alternating rows. You listen to a sermon and sing songs with your mask because that's when people are most vulnerable. So you mask up for the songs. And then at the end of the service, you know the, the pastor says, so would you please leave by rows and go through the narthex without stopping? Uh, and, go, and you're saying, come on, we're new. We don't know anybody. And so we're not only grieving the loss of a church, we're grieving the loss of friends and not knowing even how to make new. And how do I say this? I know the church pretty well. <laughs> I kind of know how the church functions. And and the loneliness was intense for us and I think particularly for my wife. You know, I mean, I can still preach in a lot of churches. You know, she, she's, she's at home. I can meet new friends at the new job I have. She doesn't have a new job. And Murray, I mean, your sweet wife, how did how did she survive it? Because we really had to say identity in Christ. And this this is not eternity. This is for a time, but this is not eternity. And say the gospel truths over and over again. How, how did you as a family do?
1: Yeah, uh <clears throat> not without difficulty and not without uh challenge. Um and I'm grateful, uh particularly grateful for for Kim, my wife and, uh, you know, honestly, a, 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 great marriage, not without struggle, certainly, but, but a really a healthy relationship and honest communication and, and trying to be, you know, as vulnerable as as possible or as, as helpful with, with friends. So it's a hard, it's a hard thing. Um, and I think it I think reminding ourselves that our identity is in Christ is not just something, and you illustrated this point so well just now, Brian. It's not just something that we as preachers need to do, but it's something that every single person in our congregation is struggling with as well, because COVID has impacted them too. Their livelihood, their their the job, their jobs, you know, inflation, you know, all kinds of all kinds of challenges out there that every single person As you just said, you know, we're this new and new in church, you know, used to leadership. Now, now we're just uh, somebody that has to follow the rules just like everybody else. And so I think everybody struggles with that. So helping, helping people to see that not only do you need to tell yourself my identity is in Christ, my wife needs to tell herself that, but you do too.
2: Mary, because I know you and Kim and I think of Kathy, you know, one of the strange blessings of loneliness and the end of meaningful pastoral comparison is, you know, how fast is your church growing versus mine? How many people hear this? Is you end you end up having the opportunity to really lean on your spouse, yeah, and really, how do I say this? Treasure your alone time with your spouse because you know the regular patterns are gone. And <laughs> this could sound terrible, but it's been really good for our marriage. Oh sure, Even though
0: yeah. there've been bad times, even though there, have been even
2: well, though there have that been doesn't sound times. terrible as well. But. <laughs> so, I mean, we're laughing, but you know long time is great. And you really, I mean, where else are you going to spend it? But with the one most dear to you, and you're kind of forced to deal with each other. That's so, right. <laughs> so, so I don't want to look past the, the goodness of that.
0: It's interesting. Something that I know you've mentioned before, Brian, that I appreciate when talking about, whether pastors or people in church leadership needing to find Oasis people um and people that you can really... Um, just allow yourself to be vulnerable and and let them pour into you and you pour into them. But this has been a very interesting time, especially I know with you talking about moving to an area and and trying to meet people and things like that. So there might not be a good answer to this question, but what are ways that you can still um, have that time, find those oasis people find ways to not be so isolated. Um, Is there anything that you've discovered or found uh, during this time, maybe in unexpected ways. Like I said, there may not be a good answer to this question, but I just oh, there is I there's a great it. answer.
2: You find the fishermen in the congregation.
0: You say, <laughs> "Let's
2: go fishing."
0: That's always the good answer. That that's your go to, I would assume, Brian. Right?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know,
0: you can you can
2: practice COVID distance and still fish great.
0: <laughs> that's very fair, and it yeah. feels biblical too. I mean, it you does. Know, there you go. There you go.
2: But honestly you you have to find something to to connect with people so uh, for for kathy actually it took quite a while to find um bible study groups that she would fit into right that that um people were willing to get together but but that became really important in this transition time for us and uh, for her it was the choir and once the choir was meeting again that was very important for my musical wife to be able to find you know, an activity that she loves. So those are not magic answers, but they're part of what the church can do is give people opportunities to find the people doing things they love doing.
0: I I think that makes total sense. And I, you know, as we've discussed, we're kind of all fumbling our way through this. So (laughs) I think there is maybe some encouragement in knowing that we are not alone in this. Um, And I hope that this is an encouragement for those who might be listening.
2: I'm just going to ask Murray what changed in his preaching from when COVID started to COVID, we pray, almost over. But can you say how your preaching has changed in that time, Murray? And I don't have an answer of what I'm looking for even. I'm just wondering if you're looking back, say, I talk more about this, or I talk differently this, or who I have in mind. I don't have an idea, but what's different now than when we started COVID, Murray?
1: Well, we're always growing as uh, preachers, or we ought to be. Um, and so, I think, in particular, and this is something that that Kim has really she's really helped me with, um, is my uh, my application of text to real day to day issues. And you say, "My goodness, it took you a decade and a half and a global pandemic to figure out how to apply." Biblical text to real, well, fair enough, (laughs) but I'm, I'm growing in that. And, uh, and so trying to be sensitive to real, to real issues and say, you know, what does this text say about the things that we're facing? You know, the Bible doesn't ever mention, you know, well, I guess it does in Exodus pandemics, but, uh, but in terms of how to, in, in terms of how to pastor and how to preach, uh, Timothy gives uh, you know, Paul gives Timothy no instruction there, but he does give us general principles. And so learning, I think learning how to apply the Bible uh has been in 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 particular ways has been has been really good and continues to be a challenge for me.
2: Long ago when I taught Murray, I used to say, uh, we all come to seminary thinking that explaining a text will be the most difficult thing. But you preach for just a year or two. Explaining is not the hard part. Illustrating is harder, and application never gets easy. You sweat bullets all your life to do application that's meaningful to God's people. And Murray, welcome to the club.
1: I don't I don't remember. I don't know if you also remember, but you would tell us application is the main thing to do. I did. That's and it wasn't me. That was John Broadus.
2: who said initially. Right. That's <laughs> so right. I think we better stop, Chris. We're reminiscing.
0: Yeah, no, hey, I appreciate it. I'm just, you know, I'm just observing. I'm just a fly on the wall. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Revealing Grace. You know, I could listen to Brian and Murray talk for hours, and I'm sure they would if given the opportunity, but we're really glad to just be able to share a small snapshot of what's going on in their lives Uh, We've been on a little bit of a hiatus for this podcast, and so I'm so excited to be back and delivering new episodes once again. Um, There's been a lot of transition, maybe for you as well, uh, but something that we're going to be doing differently for this season is having conversations with pastors across the country to see how the Lord is working in their lives and in the lives of their congregations. So I'm really excited to be able to share that with you and can't wait for you to hear all these conversations. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, I would encourage you to subscribe. Also, if you would like to watch us as we're recording this podcast, you can go to the Brian Chapel YouTube page or simply go to brianchappell.com and you can find this episode of the podcast along with so many other resources. There is a great collection of sermons from Brian from throughout the years that you can view and listen to at Brianchapel.com. In addition, there are other resources for you if you're a pastor or in ministry or simply want personal edification. There is so much great content available there. If you are looking to hone your craft, as a presenter of the gospel whether it is as a pastor or a sunday school teacher or a bible study leader whatever it may be there are great seminary level courses available to you taught directly by brian chapel and we now have them available in so many different options whether you want to subscribe monthly or quarterly or annually whatever is going to work best for you we've tried to make these as accessible as possible We hope you join us next time as we continue our conversation with pastors from across the country and we look into God's word and the way that he is working in all our lives as we continue to seek him and share the good news of the gospel.